The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Father, I pray in this time together, which is so special, and you said it's special, and you said that the two more gathered in your name, you're present in a special way. And I pray that you will make us hungry for your righteousness right now. I hope it's anything you said. I pray you will make us eager. Probably it's in all of our lives we're challenged in listening. I just give it these moments to listen to the word and hear what you're saying. We love you. We pray you through time together. Communication, the word by your spirit, we love you. Jesus said that. The reason why we are doing a 10-week series called Jesus Said That is because despite our proclamations of love for Jesus and our pledges of devotion to Jesus, oftentimes what we pledge our devotion to, the words we use, the content of our faith, and what we think it means to be a Christian, doesn't look a lot like what Jesus said. Um, we can even share words with one another. Um, what, we, what we think of as the content of our faith, the great ideas that we have. When we open up the Gospels, and we see what Jesus is saying, and we're like, oh, that is it's hard. It's sometimes hard because it's convicting, and it just—it's a truth that, that absolutely like pierces through some lie that we've been holding on to. But sometimes it's challenging because it's—it's it's almost like too encouraging, you know. Like like this is like, like you know. Think of the, the person who's meeting Jesus uh, is repelled. Peter, who says, "You know, get away from me, because I'm a sinner," and sometimes like. Jesus wants to come with his love and his grace, and we read his words, and we're like, oh, I don't know if that still applies to me, because it's almost like that grace is too good. So we're going to be looking in the next 10 weeks at the words of Jesus that are radically challenging, radically convicting, but also radically encouraging. And maybe because of that, are hard to receive. And my hope is that ultimately we will... We will talk in ways that sound like Jesus um, because of, of hearing just his words. So to provide a context for the, this, there's, there's three things I just want to point out about Jesus and the way he speaks. And the first is that Jesus spoke in a way that was different 
than anybody who has ever lived. You can see that in the Gospels when, when Jesus speaks, and, and though they're coming, a lot of them, coming just because they heard he healed somebody, and they're like, maybe we'll do a trick, like maybe we'll do that when we're here. And, and they're coming, they're probably not even coming with the purest of intentions, but they leave saying he's spoken in a way I've just never seen before. He doesn't speak like our teachers. He doesn't speak like the Pharisees. He, he speaks with power and authority. We've never seen before. And so Jesus singularly, not just throughout his time, but throughout all history, speaks in a way that no one ever has. The second thing is that Jesus is the smartest person that has ever lived. And it's kind of an interesting way to say it, but what I mean by that is there is no one who has ever spoken more truthfully than Jesus. Oftentimes when we talk about uh, spiritual matters, we put it in this category of subjective. Like, it's stuff that kind of, you know, like, your truth, your truth, whatever. That's not the case. Spiritual, just as much as the physical, requires an absoluteness to the truth. And what Jesus said is 100% absolutely irrefutably true. Jesus said, everything that I say, I've heard from the Father. Everything I communicate to you, I've heard from the Father, which means that everything coming out of Jesus' mouth, the God, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, sovereign over all things, is communicated to him. So hearing his words, you don't ever have to be like, oh, let's just sift it. Let's like find the part that's like true. No, every single thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is accurate, and so you need to gauge your response. You don't need to gauge the truth of what he's saying. You need to read his words and be like, man, why is it that I'm having conflict with this? Because that is true. Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. Even though when people talk about smartness, you know, if you're like, who's the smartest person that ever lived? You're like, oh, maybe Einstein. I think there was this guy in like Egypt at one point. Uh, no, Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. 100% of people other than Jesus spoke fallibly, including myself. So that leads us to the third thing, which is Jesus' way of life and his teaching, we just need to acknowledge as being remarkably different than not only every other teaching, but oftentimes even what is, is called Christian teaching. And, and what I mean by that, I'm not, I'm not like, don't worry, I don't have like something in my mind. Like, I, what I'm saying is, like, every human teacher is fallible. Like, your favorite author that, like, you read for devotions instead of the Bible in the morning is not completely accurate. And, and that's just the case. Right? Like, and, and it's unfortunate that oftentimes we rely on people that we just find easier than Jesus. And, and I found this even in studying in seminary where, where you... You have these conversations, they go on for a long time, and people would just be sharing authors' ideas. Like, what do you think about salvation? Well, Karl Barth said, nah, and you know, then like your heart is boss was like, well, I think this. You know, and it's like pop, you know, it's like, well then, and and are we going back and going, well, what did Jesus say? Because Jesus actually was 100 percent accurate. And well, and I'm not saying that, like authors are helpful. I read great, I Guys, I have way too many books. So I'm glad Ham's not here to be like, hey, man. You know, like, <laughs> I probably need to get rid of some. But read 
brilliant books, but they are fallible. All of us, 100% of people, even your favorite author is going to stand before God one day and be like, man, I'm so wrong about that. <laughs> and, and His grace, as we come to Him, can cover even over those things. So, that's the context for Jesus' words, that Jesus spoke differently. And He spoke with authority, absolute authority, and His words were true. He's the smartest person ever lived. And, and when you find it's different than Christianity sometimes. And what I mean by that is, is you will have these ideas too that when you read his words, you're like, man, this is different. Um, like Jesus never preached in, a, in like a church like this, you know? Like, and in a lot of ways he lived very simply. Sometimes you're like, wow, should we live more simply? You know? Should, should we go reach out to people maybe in a way Jesus did, which is a little more different than the way I do? Those are good things. When we see the differences, remember Jesus is right. Uh, so, spit is worse than one another. With that context, are we all still together here? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. We're going to get into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is, um, it was described to me once as like, Jesus' inaugural address. So, you know, when a, when a president gives their inaugural address, they, they sort of declare everything that will be hopefully the content of their presidency. And that, that literally is what Jesus is doing in his inaugural sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying everything that is the content of his kingdom, the character and content of his kingdom is expressed here in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's important that we remember that this is a sermon. So oftentimes, um, things get cherry-picked, like just taken out of the Sermon on the Mount, like, we, we focus on, man, the, the log in the eye part, or, or like, man, turn the other cheek, or go the extra mile, or all these different things that are, are in this, and yet we don't honor what is happening as a sermon that Jesus is sharing from, from start to finish. So, um, so we are going to go through the second half of Matthew 5, but I'm going to lead in with the Beatitudes, uh, and the Beatitudes really being the the character of the kingdom. And so think of, of you as a listener to these, uh, coming from thousands of years of, of anticipation of a Messiah that would come. And, and now think of Jesus as the Messiah introducing what his kingdom will be like. And this is how he starts. It's, the words for the Beatitudes aren't going to be up there. I just want you to, to listen to them. And we can close your eyes, maybe, as we read the Beatitudes. And this is just the first thing he says. First thing he says is going, this is the content, this is the character of my kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, after this long way, we'll realize just how spiritually empty they are. That's the beginning. The beginning is realizing how spiritually needy you are. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way you persecuted the prophets who were before you. And as Jesus is saying this, Jesus is saying these things, remember Jesus who is speaking with authority, with power, speaking absolute truth, and that's, that's coming across, is that Jesus is the absolute embodiment of your character in this kingdom. You know, I think, how is Jesus a perfect embodiment of poverty of spirit? Well, for me, it's too, you know, that Jesus being very nature God didn't consider equality with God so he be grasped, but he made himself in life. Literally, because it's empty himself. And in Jesus experienced poverty of spirit. And Jesus mourned. Jesus was naked. Jesus hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was a peacemaker. So as he is expressing the character of the kingdom, he is also in that giving an invitation to follow him. To follow him who is the perfect embodiment. And, and that is the launching pad as he dives into the law. Because all preparation up to this point has been the law. The law of Moses. That they, they tried with all their might at times to fulfill, other times just completely abandoned it. And, and the law, and Jesus' dealings with the law, is what has made the content of the Sermon on the Mount considered by many some of Jesus' most controversial and challenging words. Because kind of what we want him to do, what, what, what we want him to say about the law, he doesn't. We kind of want him just to, like Moses, well, just break the law and be like, don't worry, it's a party, you know? But he doesn't do that. Instead, this is what he says, and we're going to start in, in verse 19, or sorry, 17. Jesus, following the character of the kingdom, him being the perfect embodiment, now, you know, in people's minds, what do we do with the law? The law that has for so long almost just been this presence of condemnation because we can't do it. And Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word fulfillment is really, really, really important. To be fulfilled. You think what this means for us personally. Think what this means for the law. That, that what the law was in its, its uh, mortal condemnation of us. Jesus is saying, don't think for an instant that the smallest letter or the least stroke is going to disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. This is in verse 19, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And going on to verse 20, it says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness, which is unless your living out the law surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees were known for like trying their hardest, doing their best, actually creating like structures around the law to try to keep it. And then he goes, you know, you thought it was hard and you thought the Pharisees made it hard. It is actually harder. This is good news. And this is what makes it challenging. This is what makes, oftentimes, right, what we talk about as, as Christian or Christianity, uh, kind of a far cry because a lot of 
lot of Christians view the Old Testament as just like severed. It's gone. It's behind us now. Praise be to Jesus. He just broke the law. No, Jesus did not break the law. He fulfilled the law. And he actually goes on to say, let me tell you about a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. Let me tell you about a law that is higher, that couldn't even be written out in the words because it's so detailed. And it goes beyond what you see to how you feel and what you want and what you desire. That's what we're going to talk about when we talk about the law. Jesus goes, and it far surpasses anything that's been written before. And so he goes on to compare six things, and he says, as you, you've heard it said, you've heard it, it's been written, but I'm going to tell you something else. And he goes, this is something else isn't new. It's, it's an explanation of the nitty-gritty of what you always have heard. So oftentimes we're like, what do we do with this? Well, I, I want you to hear Jesus is making the law just as hard as it always was and explaining there's no way around this. He says, you've heard it said that the people long ago, you, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, He's answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, the danger in the fires of hell. So what he's saying is, here, you know, all you that feel okay because you haven't murdered somebody, he goes, you know what? If you gossip, if you called someone a nerd, if you were malicious, if something came out of your mouth that was mean, he goes, any of those things is just as bad. He goes, you know, the, the Pharisees, you know, they, they're proud of themselves they didn't murder anyone, but they are terrible in the way they speak about people. It's terrible. And he goes, because that, that fear of the Lord because of that. Going on, he says, uh, Therefore, if any of you offering a gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Come and offer your gift. And, and we, we hear this in the Old Testament also. I think of Psalm 51 where, where David's going, like, God, you know, you don't need more bulls to be sacrificed on the altar. It's like, that's not what you desire. You desire a you desire a contrite heart. So this isn't new stuff. Jesus is saying. Jesus is going, man. You've tried to create ways around it. You've tried. You've tried lowering the bar, thinking that maybe when the Messiah comes, he'll just get rid of the bar altogether, so you can just step over. He goes, it is way higher than you ever thought it was. Settle the matter quickly. With your adversary who is taking you to court, do it while you're still together on your way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and he would be thrown into prison. Going on to the next verse. This is truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman must who has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you're right, I caused you to stumble, gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And I wonder, even with that, um, there's this scene in, in uh, the Gospels where it's um, John 8, where a woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, and they say, what will you do with this woman? And it's this, this kind of cryptic part where Jesus bends down, he writes in the sand, and everyone leaves. And, because Jesus gets and he says, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And that's essentially what he's saying here. And, and I wondered if what Jesus was writing in the sand essentially was a part of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, 
if you have, if you've looked at Elman the Muscle, you've committed adultery. And who knows what he was writing in that? But what he's saying is, man, we're so ready to create this field of outsiders, and so we feel like maybe we belong. But through every single one of these things, that, that the Pharisees or those who try to hold parts of the law, the parts that they could, they try to create a group that feels okay. Feels so okay that maybe we don't even need the Messiah to show up, right? And this group of outsiders that will just never make it. And just let me show you what holiness is. And when, when the Old Testament, he says, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. How no one's meeting that standard. So he goes on. If your right, right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body and for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it is said people long ago do not break an oath but fulfill the Lord, the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. You do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even a white, one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants you to sue you and to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, and even as I read these, and you might feel this, as we read these, there's kind of growing desperation. Like, <laughs> you know, you start with poor in spirit, and then you get here and you're like, Oh man, I just need to stop. I don't think I can take any more. There's too much. It's too much. It's too perfect. Right? I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. They may may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. And in the summary of all these things that he has said, in the same way in the law of the Lord, in the Pentateuch, in the, in the, that we get in the Old Testament, it says, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. It wraps it up by saying, So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what Jesus is saying is, This is what it means to fulfill the law. Jesus says, I've not done away with it, but I've come, and I have come to fulfill it perfectly. What does that mean? And and what does that mean for us? The big question is, how does the fulfilled law, the fulfilled law, where Jesus says, I have fulfilled it, how does that impact the life of the disciple, or impact the life of the one he's invited to come? Because as as he's sharing it, I don't know if you feel it, I do, I mean, you get to the parts about things you've said, or things you, you know, ways you've used your eyes, and, and, and you go, man, I thought, we have a nation of blind people if we, if we did this. So, God, what are you asking for? What he's asking for, and he said with absolute concise clarity, verse 40, is be perfect. 
as the Lord, the God, is perfect. What does that mean for us? What it means for us in the context of Matthew 5, 17, hold on to that word. Jesus says, I, I have fulfilled the law. That is the context of everything he shares. And he goes, unless your righteousness surpasses that, and he goes, I will show you a surpassing righteousness, all these things. And he goes, and we get desperate. And the reason why we get desperate, and the reason why we're going, God, how can you ask all these things? And I've already broken something. I've probably broken all of them. What do I do? And, and I think there's different ones that touch a nerve in us. Some of us, man, we just hate people. Some of us have been divorced. Some of us are going like, man, look at pornography. What does that mean? When I, when I read this, do I need to go home and cut my eye out? And, and, and we, get, we get through all these, and all of us go, this is me. Right? So, mm-hmm. And we lose the context of Jesus going, I have fulfilled it. I have fulfilled it. And so how do we live as people who are following the fulfiller? And it is this, that, that we need to stop seeking personal perfection that is apart from Jesus. We, we have to stop seeking personal perfection that is apart from Jesus. It, this is meant to create in us a deep desire for the fulfiller, for Jesus himself. That that is what this whole thing is causing us to do. Jesus is not showing us another law. He's not showing us another way. He's showing how he himself is the fullness and fulfillment of everything that's been said and everything that is true, everything that is perfect, and everything that is right in the world. And in heaven itself, it is Jesus and he is the fulfillment. So how do, we, how do we live as a disciple of the fulfiller? That's the big question, right? How do we live as a disciple of the fulfiller? Now, I'm going to share a story with you that I came up with. Hopefully it's helpful. It's been helpful to me. So, I was trying to I think through this early this morning. I was, up, I was at Carl's bachelor party Friday, Saturday. So this morning I was finishing the sermon, you probably should know that, it's like behind the curtain stuff, you know? <laughs> behind the curtain, I was working on my sermon this morning. Um, and I was like, how do I talk about this? And I thought, this story came to mind. I want you to imagine a village that, that is um, just filled with immortal sickness. Sickness no one knows what to do with, and it's taking over the village. Everyone has it, and everyone will die in this village that is sick. Now, they know that there is a cure, and there's a cure in the village across the jungle from them. They know this because they have a map. And the map not only shows about the village with the great king that lives in that village, but also shows a very clear path how to get from one village to the next, the village where the sickness is, the village where the great king lives, and where there's medicine for the sickness. Now, I know this is like, oh, this is like a children's story. Well, it kind of is, so bear with me. It's my level. So, they have the map. They have the trail. They know how to get there. The map is so helpful. Listen to me. The map is so helpful that it, it literally outlines every area where there will be harm along the way. They're like, hey, the cobra's here. Right? Okay, keep going. They're like, quicksand's here. Uh, and, you know, you keep navigating. And it shows all the different areas where, and so, so time and time again, to go get the, the medicine for the sickness, 
people set out. They're like, we have to have how hard can it be? You know? And, and time and time again, they don't make it. They come back. They get killed along the way. They cannot make it even though they have the map. One day, the son of the great king shows up in their village. They're like, how did you, how did you make it? And he goes, well, I just traveled the path. I have the map. They're like, and they compare the maps. They're like, but the maps are the same. It's like, I know, I know the maps are the same. He goes, the maps are the same. But he goes this. He goes, you, and you, you know, as you're coming through, you know where the cover is. But the cobra, to get around the cobra is way harder than you could ever imagine. Like, it's way harder than you Like, you can't do it on your own, okay? He goes, when you get to the quicksand, you thought you thought you could get through the quicksand. Everyone, you, you've shared about how to get through the quicksand, but that's not how you get through the quicksand. <laughs> now, now, you have two options here. One is you're like, you know, tell, tell me it's sweet. And you just try to do it yourself over and over again. And you'll be like, can you just take us? And that is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's coming, he's going... I will show you the way. I'll get you around the cobra, through the quicksand, we're going to go. Right? And, and that is what it means to, to follow the fulfiller of the law. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you know how to do it perfectly, or you won't stumble along the way, or sometimes you'll be like, let me just go out and do it now. You know, and you, you will. And you'll get bitten by the cobra. So, so what does this look like to us? How does this apply to us? It applies to us, and Jesus says it so perfectly, right? Listen to this. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're like, oh yeah, nothing. <laughs> sure, you meant like these things we couldn't do. He's like, no, seriously. Dude, you suck at everything. <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> you can't do anything, right? And, and but how? And many of us are like, like we just we just don't abide. And he's like, no, you have to. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, I abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. You say, you know what? And I pray for you. I pray for you so much that that just as me and the Father are one, that, that you can be one with us. And by being with us, you can experience that unity. That was just prayer to the Father. So, how we be fulfilled people is by following the one who fulfilled the law perfectly. I was, um, just to summarize this all, it really is, it comes down to this, I think, is that the fulfilled person is the follower of Jesus. The fulfilled person isn't the person who like does it without Jesus and figures out on their own, tries to figure out the Bible on their own. No, the fulfilled person is the follower of Jesus. And as you're following him, and we're learning to do that, because what does a disciple mean? What does the word disciple mean? The word disciple means learner. So important. It means learner. So it means when you decide to be a follower of the fulfiller, that you don't know everything. And, and you're going to keep learning along the way and, and learning through. Sometimes you're going to screw up and get back and follow the fulfiller. Because then as you are fulfilled, as you find fulfillment, are the fulfiller, you will not seek these other things. I mean, go down the list. Will you, 
Will you make fun of people and push them out, make them feel like outsiders, if you are fulfilled? No, no. The people who are bullies and are mean aren't people who are fulfilled. The people who are cowards on the inside. Right? Will you be someone who commits right? murder? Right? Will you be someone who commits adultery if you're fulfilled? No, adultery is committed by those people who are seeking something, anything, because they don't feel fulfilled. And they, they want to find something to fulfill them. Will you be somebody who, when, when you are maliciously attacked, fights back in a way that's defensive if you're fulfilled? No, because you're going to see in your enemy and your attacker someone actually who is weak, not someone who is strong. Does this make sense? This is what it means to follow the fulfiller. The one who's fulfilled all things is to find your fulfillment more and more and more and more and more. That is what it means to be a disciple and follow the one who said, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So, summarize everything right. The fulfilled person is the follower of Jesus, not the person who taking the map tries to strike out on the it's one who sees Jesus, holds on to it. You see the character and content of it, the Beatitudes. You see Matthew 5, 17, I have been abolishing things. Jesus didn't break any law. He just fulfilled it. And he goes, now, if you're going to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, follow me and I'll show you the way. And along the way, we find ourselves completely in him. Father, thank you for loving the world so much. You leave us to our own figuring out. And it's just we leave it today and we just want Jesus. We want to hear his words. It's as we've heard your words today, if there are, I think all of us probably, since we're just learning to follow God, there's places where like, man, I lack the thing. I pray that you'll speak, just especially into those areas of our lives today, show us how to follow Jesus there. For some of us, maybe it's the very beginning. I've been a Christian for like 20 years, and I feel so poor in spirit. So poor in spirit. And uh, maybe that's the beginning. I pretended like I'm full in spirit, and I'm really poor in spirit. Don't be the honest way to admit that walking your way. No, that, that is a beautiful way.